Okay, you're, you're coming down the hall in the church, in the church. You understand that when I'm asking you. And somebody comes up to you and they say, how are you doing today? And your answer is always fine. fine, all the time. All the time it's fine, even if it isn't fine. You say that because one, you don't believe they really want to know how you're feeling in the first place. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe you don't want to reveal how you're feeling. You see, we don't always feel fine. In fact, I find that a lot of Christians don't feel fine. They actually are not feeling that fine right now. They're looking at their lives and they're saying it's more of a blasé type life. Their Christian life is such that they don't really expect anything to happen today. They came to church, but they didn't expect anything to happen. Maybe they thought, well, maybe somebody will walk down the aisle. Maybe Maybe that kind of stuff they expect. But they didn't expect anything to happen to themselves. They didn't see that they were going to be changed. Maybe that they would be changed today. You see, as Christians, we got this idea that we got saved and that's all there is to it. You know, we just, it's all one big package. You got it, boom, there, there it is. It's delivered. You don't have to worry about it anymore. We're not going to, we don't have to grow or build on it or anything else that happens with it. You see, that's what we think is going on, but that is not what goes on. And maybe that's because we didn't tell you. We didn't tell you when you got saved. Oh, we told you about forgiveness. We told you about heaven. We told you about that. But we didn't tell you that your life was going to be changed forever. And it was going to be continually changing forever. You see, we didn't tell you that you couldn't do the things that you formerly did before you got saved. We didn't tell you you can't do the things like the world does the things. And you say to me, oh, but aren't you talking about legalism now? Aren't you talking about just a bunch of rules? No, I'm not talking about a bunch of rules. Let me explain all of that. Would you like to have real joy in your life? Would you really like to have that real, I'm excited, real joy in my life? Well, here I'll go with this. That's what it is to be a believer and be a growing believer. Why are we not like that? Well, we don't understand it. Let me give it to you. We were created to be in the presence of God. You were created to be in the presence of God. Understand that came about because you were created in God's image. Every last one of you were created in God's image. It says in Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, obviously, he didn't mean that they were created in the image of what God actually looks like because then we'd all look exactly alike. Well, how boring would that be? Think about that. You couldn't recognize anybody at that point. We all look just like God, you know. So it must mean that what we are doing is, or what God has done is, is that he's created an image of us that has to deal with his character of who he is. We have the attributes of God that have been stamped into us. Now, those attributes have been corrupted. I'll agree with that, but they are there. Give you an example. God is just, and we seek justice. When you see somebody that is, that is hurt, and you want to see that that person that hurt them gets justice, don't you? Now, the problem is, is that we're a little bit corrupted. And we don't want just justice. We want some revenge thrown in there as well. That is the corruption of it. We see that God is merciful. And you see, we've had this mercy has been in, stamped in us too. We want mercy. But what we've done is, is we've taken mercy in our corrupted state and said, you can do anything you want to. Anything at all, you want to do it. We're going to give you mercy. So, you know, our mercy says, do whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. That's what's going on. But that indelible stamp of God's character is still on you. And there's a desire to be 
like God in this. That image of God is there. The remnant is always there. And so what happens with God? God desires that we walk with him. Now, if I tell you there's an indelible image that is there and that we're like God in that sense, if God says, I want to walk with you, what is that image that has been pressed into us? We want to walk with God. It's there. It's there whether we want to admit it or not. It's there. It says in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So we want that justice? Yes, we want that. We want kindness? We want that? Yes. And we want to walk humbly with our God, but we corrupt it a little bit. We want to tell God where he's going to walk and where we're going to walk and we're going to be in different spots in this. And so our corrupted nature says, God, I want you to come walk with me, but I don't want to go walk with you. See, because people seek to have their sins approved rather than removed. I want to get it approved. I want God, you to come over, and I want you to come over here, and I want you to walk with me in my sin, what I am doing. I want you to be there with me, not I want to go over there where you are, God, because where I go, if I have to go over there, I'm going to have to cut out all that other stuff that I'm doing in my life. And so we tell God to join us in our evil. You say, no, I haven't. Well, that's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. What it's saying there is, is that when you, when you have God coming and joining you in your own sinfulness, you're asking God to join you in that sinfulness. Think about that. God, I don't want you to come over here and join me in this. I don't want to come over there and join you because I'd have to leave that behind. But I, God, I want you to come over here and join me in this. You know, that to me sounds like, you know, if you ever had a friend that's an alcoholic. It's like saying, you know what, I think I'll go over there to that alcoholic and I'll drink with him until he gets better. You know, I'll drink and drink and drink and he'll drink and drink and drink and, you know, he'll get better. And that's what we're saying to God. God, you come over here. And if you come over here and participate with me in this, then I'll get better. That's not going to happen. That doesn't even make any sense. So God cannot be around sin, so he separates from us. You realize... I'm not talking about salvation. I say, if we're saved, we're saved. That's it. I'm not talking about God saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. But we will not know God. We will not walk with him. We'll not have that close walk with him if we have something in our lives that is keeping us from walking with him in this. An example of that separation is found from that very first sin. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he said, He drove out the man and uh, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God said, you can't even live in this place. You can't be in this place anymore. You cannot be here. This is the man that God created. That is us, folks. And we're separated from him if we don't go and join him, but we try to come get him to come and join us. So what God did was, is that God has done a new creation in us when we become believers. So they're never going to be able to join me until they have this new faith that is within them. They have to be born again. John 3, 3 says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Being born again means we've gotten of that heavenly father. It is the repairing of that corruption that is in our life. Now, that doesn't mean that we've been able to completely eliminate it, but it, it is a step toward being able to clear up that uh, corruption. You know that story of the prodigal son. You know the story that the prodigal son, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, he said, I would like to have my inheritance now. I'm going to treat you like you're dead is what he's really saying. I'm going to treat you, Dad, like you're dead. His dad gives him his inheritance and then he runs off and he does all kinds of things, all kinds of crazy things that he shouldn't have done. Runs out of money in the process. You know the story on that. Finally, he comes to his senses and he comes back. But did, 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 the, did the father say, you know what, I'm going to go find that son. I'm going to grab that son by the scruff of the neck and I'm going to bring him home. Did he do that? No. Did he go and he say, well, you know what? I'm going to go search for him. I'm going to find that, that, uh, that, that uh, son who's w- walked away from me. And I'm going, to, I'm going to find him. I'm going to make him come back to me. And the answer is no, he did not. God allows the distance between us. For he will not force us to walk with him. He will not force us. You see, God could have chosen several ways to get us to obey. And there are three ways to get somebody to obey. There are three ways for someone. You want to get them to do something, there's three ways to get them to do it. You say, you do it or else. You probably know that story there, you do it or else. See, that requires a lot of rules and it takes a lot of supervision. But God didn't choose that one. There's another way to do it. You say, you'll do it because it makes sense. You do it, you know, it, it makes sense. Now, that one sounds okay, because, but what happens there is it takes the time in order to convince that them, them the reason that they need to do it. And then that also takes the time to, to uh, you know, to let them work out the results on their own. It, is, it puts the results in their hands. But then there is a third way. You will do it out of love. You will do it because you love that person. You love the person that you're doing it for. Now, this takes no supervision or rules. It takes no time to explain the merits. You just simply say, this is what I'd like to have done, and they do it out of love. Which one do you think God chose? John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's the one God chose. Doesn't sound like legalism, does it? Doesn't sound like legalism at all. And so we walk with God when we do what he requires of us. But before we were saved, we needed forgiveness for our sins to establish a walk with God. Well, understand, when we have separated ourselves from God, we're going to need some forgiveness there as well. There's going to be some confession that goes on in our lives. What happened to us originally when we got saved is there was a rift, there was a separation between us and God. And God and Jesus died on the cross, paid for our sins, and we were justified. We were justified. That doesn't mean we were perfect. It means that our sin was paid for. And Paul would write in Romans 8.33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies So we are the called out ones that God has justified. However, for most people, however, we remained at the moment of salvation without thinking that we were supposed to do anything more to walk with God. We said, we got it. We got it all. It's all here. I don't have to change anymore. I'm going to be, I mean, maybe it'll, it'll, maybe it'll work like osmosis. I'll, I'll just kind of hang around these people and I'll start getting better in the process. 
Nearly everybody has done this. Nearly everybody. But you know that story of the prodigal. The prodigal son, what happens is with that story is the the father runs out to meet the son who's already returning home. He's already made the decision to come home. And he goes out there and, you know, you can imagine he grabs the son and says, Oh, my son that was lost has come back to me. It's good. And what does he do? He gives him four things. Most people can't remember the fourth one. Gives him a ring. He gives him sandals for his feet. He gives him a robe. And one other thing. He gives him a party. You realize that? Kills that fatted calf. But so many Christians, they've come. What they do is they come to church. They, they have a convicting time in their lives. They even come down and they, they come and they kneel. And, and they say, oh Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm coming home to you. But then we say, but there's a party left. And they say, oh no, that means I have to actually go with God and actually walk with him now. I don't mind repenting, except that I don't really repent. I just want to stop it for a little while and then I'll go back to it later. And we're like a prodigal son who would, you know, he doesn't enter the party. He doesn't go into the party. What he does, he wants to get, he wants to get close enough to keep from freezing to death, but he doesn't want to get close enough to warm, get warm. That's what happens with so many people. And this is the source of a Christian's misery trying to live in these two worlds at the same time. You know why the Christians don't have the joy they should have? It's, they're trying to live in the world, and they're trying to live in God, to walk with God at the same time, and they can't do it. D.A. Carson says, No one is more miserable than the Christian who t- for a time hedges on his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasure, and he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but the memory of his past associations, the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most pitied, and he cannot remain ambivalent forever. He can't forever remain ambivalent. This is a story, folks. A lot of people are trying to do this both at the same time. You see, because we are set apart for holiness, not for just being better, not for being just good. And how do I know that, that we are set apart for holiness? Because in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, why is that? What about that image I talked to you about? Holiness has been imprinted upon us. It is actually imprinted upon us. Now, this holiness, this holiness has two parts. It has two parts. One, we set our si- ourselves aside for holiness. And what that means is, and I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a full recognition that we belong to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So what happens is we claim no rights. We give all of our rights to him, and we set ourselves aside for holiness. Now, how do we do that? We set ourselves aside by giving sin no opportunity. 
In Romans chapter 6 verse 19 it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For holiness is setting ourselves aside for God. It is presenting ourselves to God for his use. He says, when we put ourselves in a place to be tempted, we generally lose. We have to stay away from that temptation. And I know that several people will say to me, but Jesus, didn't he run around with the sinners? Didn't he run around with the tax collectors and sinners? First thing I want to tell you is, you're not Jesus. I want to give you up front and let you know that. You're not Jesus. And the second thing is, is that the moment that that other person starts to affect you towards sin, you need to stay away from them. That's what I need to tell you. What happens to so many college students when they go to college? They come out of the church. They're put in a, in a place where, you know, there's a lot of people getting freedom for the first time in their life. And they, they, they sit around and, and, and they, they, they've been put with some people that they need friends. And those friends are going to go out and do something that is, that is sinful. And what do they do? They go out and join them in that. It's a big temptation. Setting yourself aside from that is what you have to do. You see, you need an alibi. You remember in all of the crime uh, movies and, and actually TV shows, what is, a, what is a person who's been accused of something want to have? An alibi. You know what an alibi is? An alibi is, is that I wasn't there at the time that was done. You understand? I wasn't there. And if you weren't there, you couldn't have done it, right? And what you need is, is to be away from what is sinful so that you couldn't have done it. That's how you set yourself aside from this. You set yourself aside so that you're not, you're not capable of committing the sin because you were not there. So you set yourself aside apart for God. You set yourself apart for God. And so that you are not going to be in the places where you're going to be enticed to sin. Are you still going to fall? Yes, sometimes you are because we still live in this world. You cannot avoid it in every place. But being set apart for for God is walking with God who is the Holy Spirit. It is setting yourself aside when you walk with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I'm not going to tell you you're going to be sinless. I will tell you that you're going to be less sinful. I'd have to say that. But setting yourself aside, not joining in in the sin that is there, not putting yourself in that place is a volitional act. You make that decision on your own. It is a conscious, it is a deliberate action that you take. See, I want to have joy in my life. I want to love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And what I'm going to do is, is that I'm going to keep myself away from those things. I won't be sinless. I'm not going to say that. But we'll probably be like those old wooden ships. You know what I'm talking about? The old wooden ships, they leaked water all the time. So what did they do? They just pumped them out. We, you know, and we need a lot of pumping out, to tell you the truth. The truth about it is, is that... We need a lot of confession. And there's nothing wrong with confession because when we give the confession, what happens to us? We come back into the presence of God. 
We come back into the presence and we walk with God once again. But I said there was two ways, two parts of holiness. We set ourselves aside, but then we are set aside by God for holiness. He sets us aside. He set God who sets us aside and he says, and, and he, he places us in his presence in such a way that we truly walk with him. Now, let me tell you something, folks. If you come to that place, you don't want to leave there. You don't want to leave that spot. Now, I'll tell you, the world is very subtle. And the world will erode on you if you don't watch out. And it'll take you out of that place. And first it starts getting you where you're complacent about walking with God. But I can tell you what's happening is, is that when you are really not walking with God, but you think you're walking with God, is that you're not growing anymore. You're not being changed. And you need to be changed day by day into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is harmony when we act accordingly with God. He sets him, uh, us aside for himself and we have set ourselves aside for him and guess what happens there's joy real joy not the world's kind of joy in John fifteen nine, it says as the father has loved me so I have loved you Jesus is talking here he said abide in my love if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you why that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full that's the joy that we're supposed to have when we walk with him so closely so we have this you know we have this fully committed life of fully walking with God. And there's, there's no joy in partially doing it, by the way. You see, what happens to you is, is that you, you give yourself over to it. You don't, it's not like loving the world and loving God at the same time. Uh, let me tell you something, folks. This is just an honest to goodness truth. I, if I ever strayed from my love for my wife and did something that I shouldn't have done, and she found out about it. I'm not one of those preachers that would try to hide it. I would come to you to protect me. I can promise you on that. Because I can tell you there would be no peace. And I guarantee there would be no joy in my life. And why should I expect my God to put up with this kind of stuff? Why should he put up with it? There's no peace and there's no joy in this. So the evidence of my peace with God is found in my love for him. I keep the commandments when I love him. There's no legalism in that at all. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. I do it because I have this this relationship with him, just like I have a good relationship with my wife, and I want to keep it that way. Same thing would be true here. I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind. I love my neighbors myself. And it says in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Look there. There's another one of those things that God has imprinted on us, isn't it? Image of God, love. And how is it that we have that image of God upon us when we love him and we love others and there's no peace or joy when, when that doesn't happen. I, I tell you, though, the world is subtle. The world is subtle, and, it, and so are the forces of evil working in this world. They work to keep you dependent upon them. They make you think that you cannot live without them. 
They say you can find joy if you get enough of the world and you try as hard as you can and you will not have joy. And I can tell you, folks, I've been to the valley of despair. I have seen the full enticements of the world, but I'll tell you what, it's like laying on a couch thinking this is the best I can feel when you know, uh, you know down deep that getting up and exercise if it is what you need to do if you're, gonna, if you're gonna really feel the best that you can feel. It's not about laying on the couch. And when I see the people, many people, they, you know, you see them lose weight. You know what the words they say to me over and over and over again? I feel so much better. They could have laid on the couch. They could have done nothing. What did they say? I feel so much better. So I'll say to you, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? You know, I had someone ask me uh, recently, not, well, several months ago now, said to me, said, I want to grow closer to God. I said, what are you willing to do? And he said, anything, anything. And I said, okay, I'll work with you. And I met with him week after week, and we talked about his walk with God. And I actually got to see this guy just grow and grow and grow as a believer. And I, it was a you know, really, really exciting kind of thing and a, and a life of, of joy that kind of blossomed in him. And after I'd met with him, I mean, maybe a couple of months, I said to him, I said, you know, when I asked you what you were willing to do, you said anything. And I said, if you had said, well, I'm willing to do this, I'm not willing to do that. I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to do that. I would have given you a book to read. What book? Doesn't matter. You wouldn't read the book either. That's the truth. You know, if you're only going to do a part of the way. I have a question for you today. Are you serious about your walk with God? Serious, serious. Or do I just need to give you a book to read? Pray with me.